welcome to the 147th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on September 8th, 2019. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show. With me, as always... Corey Motley, podcast producer and co-host of So Video Games, also an occasional reviewer at GameCritics.com. How you living, Corey? I am doing all right, Brad. I think you and I have had polar opposite days because I woke up today and I sat on the couch and played one of the games that I'm going to be talking about later for several hours and you woke up and did not do that today. That sounds absolutely delicious and no, that is not what I did. I... I homeschool mostly i'm sure most listeners of the podcast know that i am now the mr mom stay-at-home dad and i love it uh but i do occasionally get called into service whenever there is like an emergency at work or something like that or i'm glad to help out and i that's what happened woke up this morning uh we got a call someone was in need of some help and i went to go help and i just rolled in the door like an hour ago so my morning has been kind of crazy i'm glad you had a relaxing morning but now we are both here same time, same place, to do what we are meant to do, and that is podcast about games, sir. <laughs> to do what we are meant to do. <laughs> that is what we were put on God's green earth to do, is to talk about games. So, here we are. Before we jump into it, just a quick reminder that our banter section is here today. It is present and accounted for. comes after the closing music. I know we've been kind of sketchy about it lately. Sorry about that. But we do have banter. If you want to hear more from us that's not necessarily game-related, stay tuned after the closing music. Now, let's get right to it. The Games Chat. Uh, let's start off with a little bit of news. We don't always do news, but I think there was some newsworthy stuff this week. Uh, Nintendo just had another Nintendo Direct, which is their take-it-into-their-own-hands, share-their-own-news, do-their-own-thing. Uh, a lot of people were really excited. There was a lot of people uh, looking forward to some big announcements, and I feel like they kind of delivered... Uh, Corey, I know that you are the resident Nintendo fan here on the podcast. I know you you love all things Nintendo. Uh, did you catch the Nintendo Direct? Did you have any big takeaways? Uh, any anything you want to talk about from Nintendo's Direct announcements? Um, I did not watch it, but that's not unusual because I don't watch like any press conferences usually for any even E three. I barely watch the press conferences. Um, the sad, sad, sad thing about the Nintendo Direct is you and I have both briefed about everything that was announced and all that stuff. The saddest thing that I am the most excited for out of everything that they talked about lots of third party support going on here so Nintendo finally after decades of like not being great at third party support they're all about it right now after all out of all the stuff that they announced the thing that I am the most excited about which I understand is silly is that Doom 64 is coming to Nintendo Switch on November 22nd. This had been rumored because I had seen a few articles out there saying that Doom 64 had been cleared for like a like an ESRB rating or like a European rating and stuff. So there were rumors that it was going to be coming to modern consoles. And I wasn't sure how that would work because of the 64 branding um because it was exclusive to nintendo at the time on the nintendo 64 but finally it is breaking out of that it is coming to the nintendo switch on november 22nd i think i've said it before on the show doom 64 was my first doom experience and doom 64 was actually not 
developed by id software i believe it was developed by midway and published by id and bethesda um and it was a little more in the flavor of Doom 3, where it was slightly scarier, slightly more survival horror. I remember the first time I ever booted up a Doom, I was probably like, I don't know, like 10 years old in my dark bedroom as a child. And I started the first level and just seeing the visuals and hearing the sound effects, I was too scared to take a step forward into the hallway that was in front of me in the first level. And eventually I overcame those fears but it was very scary at first, and I'm pumped as heck for it to be coming to Nintendo Switch because I'm going to buy it, and I'm going to play it, and I'm going to relive all those traumatic memories as a childhood or of my childhood all over again as a 31-year-old man. So exciting, digging deep and ripping open those psychological scars. That sounds like a great time. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, I got to say, I, I wasn't prepared for this Nintendo Direct. I mean, there was a lot of stuff for people to get excited about, but for me specifically, there was more than a few things that I was really excited about, which hasn't generally been the case. I mean, I like Nintendo. I love the Switch, but, you know, I don't really get super jazzed for the Nintendo Directs because I don't feel like they often speak to me. But this this time around, they had some really great stuff. Um, I think one of the first things that caught my attention was they are now adding Super Nintendo games to the monthly subscription, you know, if you have a switch and you want to have the online saves, the cloud saves that costs you, I think four 99 a month or something in that ballpark. And along with that, you get a selection of Nintendo games that you can download and play for free. It's kind of like PS plus, where as long as you subscribe, you get the games. If you stop subscribing, then the games go away. So it's that kind of a deal. Uh, to be honest with you, I have not dipped into the NES games. I looked at it like on the first day, I'm like, Oh, cool. And, like, never played any of them because I either played them all before or they're Nintendo games. Like, you know, I, I, you know, I got other stuff to play. I got modern stuff to play. <laughs> um, I'm not a huge retro guy. But they just announced some Super Nintendo games, and there were a couple of pretty good picks. Number one being uh, Kirby's Dream Course. Have you ever played Kirby's Dream Course? I literally don't think I've played a single Kirby game ever in my lifetime. Oh, my God. God, okay, wow. So video games exclusive. Hot scoop right here. Jesus, okay. Uh, Kirby is Kirby is great. I love Kirby. I'm a big fan. And Kirby's Dream Course is, like, probably one of the best Kirby games. And it was one of my favorite Super Nintendo games of all time. Basically, it is like miniature golf. But instead of a ball, you use Kirby. And everybody knows Kirby is like a pink ball with feet and a face. And the thing about Kirby is he steals other people's powers. That's his jam. So as you're playing Kirby's Dream Course, you collect powers, and as you try to get Kirby in the hole, he has all sorts of abilities to, like, alter your shots. So, like, he, like if, you, if you hit the ball or you hit Kirby and he goes way too high, you can turn him into a stone and he drops, like, straight down. So, like, it stops your ball from going in the water. Or if you are on a slope and you overshoot the hole and you start rolling down the slope, you can um, grow spikes. And he'll just, like, stop immediately on the ground wherever he's at. You can whack your enemies um, with your different powers, turn into a fireball and whack an opponent's ball and get it off the course. It's fucking <laughs> fun, dude. It is a fucking fun game, and I am shocked it's never been remade. Something like that these days would be fucking tremendous. I really, I cannot believe they've never remade it. Kirby's Dream Course is the shit. I love Kirby's Dream Course. So if you're listening to this and you have the Nintendo online plan and you haven't downloaded that, fix that. Play Kirby's Dream Course ASAP. The other one that I was really, really excited about was Demon's Crest, 
put out by Capcom, starring uh, one of the demons that was from like the Ghouls and Ghosts franchise. Have you ever played any of those Ghosts and Goblins, Ghouls and Ghosts? Any of those? I haven't played those either. Okay. Wow. Okay. Wow. I know. Just, I know. We're That's learning all sorts of dark secrets about Corey. Bottom I was. Today. I mean, to be frank, I was like a Sega Genesis guy back in the day. I had a Nintendo and I had a Super Nintendo, but. I always just gravitated toward the Sega Genesis, so a lot of first-party Nintendo stuff I either didn't play or I only played very little of, and so these kind of, like, Nintendo classics I'm not as into or just never experienced them in the first place. Wow, wow. I know. I really want to call you that bitch right now, but I'm not going to Revoke because I respect my gamer you too much. card. Here we go. <laughs> That aside, that aside, I, I understand what you're saying. And when I was growing up in that period, there was definitely a Sega camp and there was a Super Nintendo camp, and you didn't very often cross the streams on that one. So no worries, no worries. I was definitely in the Super Nintendo camp, and Demon's Crest was... So, so it's like an offshoot of the Ghosts and Goblins series, or Ghouls and Ghosts, or Super Ghouls and Ghosts, whatever. And he, the demon, was a bad guy from that series, but they took him and made him the hero of his own story, so it's kind of a really weird thing that Capcom did. It's like an adventure game. It's kind of like an RPG a little bit, but it's like an action game also, blending a lot of genres. And you play as a demon who can fly, he can shoot fireballs, he can climb things. It was just really out there for them, and yet I really liked it a lot. There was um, two games, and I don't remember if this was the first one or the second one, but uh, I don't think I ever finished it, and it was something that I really wanted to come back to. So now I'm really glad that I have a chance I'm going to 100% download and play Demon's Crest. There's a bunch of other ones that were announced. Nothing that I was really super excited about, but there was like, uh, you know, I think uh, Link to the Past and Super Metroid. I mean, I played those, you know, whatever. I mean, I've played those. I don't want to come back to them, but a lot of people are looking forward to those. So SNES is now a thing on the Switch. I think that's great. The downside of this is that up until now, Nintendo has been releasing new games on this service. Uh, I think two new games a month was their commitment. Now that they have released the Super Nintendo games, they're like, yeah, we're going to keep updating, but we're not going to do two a month. We're going to do it when we feel like it. So (laughs) a slight loss in value because you can't really count on at least two more games a month. But I mean, I think what is there is pretty cool and you probably want the cloud saves anyway. So it's kind of like getting the stuff for free. Although, honestly, as many people have observed, how fucking expensive is it to port these games? It must be super easy. People have been doing ROMs forever, so... It can't be that hard, but anyway. Um, the other thing that I was well, I have a couple. I have a couple more things. I could I could rant here, but what else were you excited for? Anything else from the Nintendo Direct? Was that it for you? Um, that was kind of the big one for me. Um, one, a couple other things that aren't necessarily like a big deal for me specifically, but I think are kind of a big deal like to the gaming space. Maybe is that uh, the first one being that Overwatch is coming to Switch, which I guess like. I had never really thought about Overwatch being on Switch, but I guess it was kind of one of those things that, like, like of course it was going to happen. Like, eventually it was going to happen. So that's pretty exciting, although I probably won't play it, but I know Overwatch is huge, and a lot of people love it, and people continue to support it. So that is cool. And also, um, the other thing that was kind of exciting... And this, see, this is another thing that I'm not super pumped about, but, like, Return of Oberdin was a PC game that came out last year that... A lot of people loved, it came in late, it got a lot of people's Game of the Year lists, like right in at the tail end of the year, and I played it, we talked about on the show a while, like probably in like January or something, and I, try as I might, I just could not get into it because it was a little too obtuse for me, but I am excited about it coming to Switch because more people will be able to play it, and it's supposed to be coming to PS4 and Xbox One as well, so... 
Um, I do think maybe more people should play it because I know uh, not everybody has a gaming PC. Um, but that being said, I still I won't play it on Switch. I won't play it on consoles. I already have it on PC, and I just couldn't quite get into it. But a lot of people loved it, so I think that's pretty exciting news for anybody who was hoping to be able to play it who doesn't have a gaming PC. Do you? Th- so this is something that I'm excited about. Um, I've seen it before, and I I was very aware of it, but I don't play a lot of things on PC. Um, I will definitely give it a try. I don't know if it's going to be my jam or not, but I'm very curious to try it. And this is just one more example of the Switch uh, being an amazing indie platform. And one of the reasons I love it so much, I know that some people are like kind of bemoaning that there's not more first-party Nintendo stuff on the Switch. I couldn't care less because I'm drowning <laughs> in really cool indies and PC games that I've never had to play before. So it's great. And this is one of them. Do you feel like this would be fine on the Switch? Do you think this is a good place for it? Or should I wait for like a PS4 kind of version? Um, I think it would play perfectly fine across all platforms. There's nothing, like, strangely PC-centric about it. Like, it basically controls just, like, a first-person game. And it's not a shooter, so you don't have to worry about, like, you know, jumping and tactical controls and everything. Like, the control style of it very much falls into, like, you know, sort of like what a walking sim or a narrative adventure game would be into. I don't think there's anything in it that requires, like, you know, Twitch reflexes or anything like that. So I think it would actually be perfectly at home on switch but i also think it would play very well on the other consoles too okay i think i might lean towards switch this seems to me like the kind of switch thing that i would like to get down with um I, you know i just i like big bombastic AAA games on ps4 and i like small thoughtful indie games on the switch and this seems like a small thoughtful indie game so that is what i'm going to lean towards um overwatch i used to really like overwatch a lot and i never stop liking it i just stopped playing it because it takes a lot of practice and a lot of dedication to stay good in overwatch and i just didn't have the bandwidth for it so i still like it uh haven't played it in quite a while i don't think i'll get it on switch and i'm kind of curious to see how it would even run on the switch i have my doubts that it's going to be that great a version but you never know um otherwise i've also got real big question marks about divinity original sin 2 um, this is a PC RPG that I really wanted to get into um, the first time around with Divinity. Div- geez, I can't even say it. With Divinity Original Sin Number One, it's really deep. It's like really hardcore, and it's really detailed. It's one of the things that you've got to you've got to commit to, right? You got to dive in headfirst, or just don't bother. And I said, don't bother, because I just <laughs> I couldn't commit my whole life to it. I've heard nothing but wonderful things about Divinity Original Sin Two. But knowing how detailed and how Western RPG it is, I have severe doubts it's going to play well on the Switch. If for no other reason, then the graphics are going to be fucking tiny as hell on the Switch. I, oh, man. I, I literally cannot conceive of this being a good way to play this game. I mean, I just can't. Uh, cool that it's going to be on the Switch, but I really... Mm, man, I know that they say the Switch can do it. I don't think the Switch can do it. Uh, <laughs> you'll need a, a magnifying glass to play this thing. A um, couple other things to mention that I'm excited about. Uh, I was not a big fan of Persona 5. Uh, wait, no, Persona 4. What was the most recent? Was it 5? It was 5, wasn't it? I don't know. Okay. You're no help. I'm it sorry. Was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was 5 was the one that had the masks and they were yeah okay i think it was five uh i was not a fan of that one and i have traditionally been a big persona fan uh that one lost me pretty quickly and i never i think i put like four hours into it and then i was like i'm done i didn't want to play anymore 
But a lot of people said that Tokyo Mirage Sessions was the game that Persona fans should have gotten into instead of Persona 5. So Tokyo Mirage Sessions is coming to Switch, and I think that's a great place to play it because it is on the JRPG side, and for me, I really like to be able to pick those up and put those down. Like, I don't want to sit in front of a my TV and just, like, grind for hours. That's the kind of thing that I want to do, like, on the bus or in bed or something. So I am trusting that the people who know Persona and recommended Tokyo instead are correct. I've got to look into that one. I'm very excited about that. And the the biggest, the biggest jaw-dropping, out-of-nowhere surprise, OMG, what announcement, Deadly Premonition 2, which <laughs> nobody in the world was expecting. I was, I mean... I'm one of the biggest fans of Deadly Premonition in the world. I think at Game Critics, we probably like that game more than anybody else combined. I think Dan Weissenberger, he wrote something like 175,000 words on Deadly Premonition 2. He did like 19 features on it. We did videos. We did interviews. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, when De- I mean, I've talked to Swery, the, the director of the game, personally. I've, I've hugged him twice, literally in real life. We are. I'm, I'm down with Deadly Premonition. And I had no idea this was coming. Uh, I could not be happier. And I am so over the moon. And they talked about it on the direct. Like, it was just like, yeah, hey, Nintendo, we got some announcements. Uh, yeah, da, 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 blah, 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 Deadly Permission 2. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? 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 Whoa. <laughs> Reel that back in, dude. Uh, man, I know it's just it just blew me away. You could have knocked me over with a feather. So that is by far the number one thing I am most excited about. So... I'm a Deadly Premonition freak. Did you ever play it? Do you have any experience with Deadly Premonition at all? Um, I game-flied Deadly Premonition on, I think, Xbox 360. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Um, I game-flied it, and I tried to get into it and could not. Um, I would not be opposed to... It's one of those games, and I've talked about this on the show every once in a while, where you play a game and you don't like it, and then you wait, like a year or two and you try it again and then you have to decide okay did i really not like it or did i just not understand it this is one of those games that kind of falls into that category that i wouldn't be afraid to go back to and try to see if maybe i just wasn't ready for it or i didn't quite get it or maybe i don't know like i was too tired when i was playing it or you know one of the a million reasons that you know could stand between you and getting into a game because i've only heard people say great things about it um, but also there's a lot of games that I've only heard people say great things about that I also don't like, much like Return of the Obra Dinn, which we just talked about. So, like, I'm open to trying it again, but at the time when I played it, I just couldn't get into it. I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. I know that we are pretty hardcore about loving it at Game Critics, but there is a lot of people out there who hate Deadly Permanition and who say it's trash and don't find any value in it whatsoever. And to be fair, it's a really polarizing game. I mean, there's a lot of jank in it there's there's a lot a lot of jank in that game (laughs) um there's a lot of eccentricity there's a lot of weird decisions it's really difficult to get into um i mean it worked for me because number one i think you have to have an appreciation of twin peaks did you ever watch twin peaks the tv show i did not this is basically to me like the spiritual sequel to the twin peaks tv show and it came out before the actual sequel came out so i know that there is a true sequel but that's that's not in the discussion right now. Um, I saw this as, I mean, this was a, a, a love letter to Twin Peaks made by somebody who loved Twin Peaks just as much as I love Twin Peaks. Uh, Swear 65 is a very, very famous, well-outspoken fan of Twin Peaks. So you have to kind of have that background. If you like Twin Peaks, you will like this game. And this, 
the systems were weird. This was a game also where there was originally supposed to be no combat, but the publisher, like halfway through development, said, "Oh, well, if there's no combat, we're you've lost your deal. We're not going to publish it." And so they had to uh, shoehorn combat in at the last minute, which explains why the combat is so bad in this game because it wasn't supposed to have any. Uh, so they saved it. I'm really glad that they did save it, but it is kind of a hassle to deal with the combat. I mean, it's it's rough, man. There's no two ways about it. It's rough. It's weird. It's bizarre. There's just so many things to put people off, and I don't blame anybody for bouncing off it. But if you're able to find the goodness in it, it is unlike anything else out there. Some of the stuff that happens in that game is just fucking phenomenal, super memorable. I mean, I enjoyed my time with it, and it stuck with me forever. I just... Um, I, I just can't say enough good things about it. And the ending I felt like was just like, just, I, I have no words. Like it just really struck me. <laughs> it really got me um, masterpiece, just masterpiece. Um, so very excited for Deadly Premonition 2. I don't know if it'll be as good. I don't know if it'll be as weird. I don't know if, if it'll be as janky, who knows, but at least it's something. And I'm always glad to get more work from Swery65. I think he's one of uh, the truly distinct voices out there in games development right now. And I'm a big, big, big fan of his. Super nice guy as well. I love talking to him. I've met him a couple times. It's always a good time. So Swery is wonderful. I wish him the best of luck. And I'm very excited for this. So uh, pretty good Nintendo Direct. I think that was pretty solid. A lot of good picks. And of course, there was some Smash Brothers shit they announced and some other crap I don't care about. So <laughs> uh, Pokemon stuff that I was like, whatever, whatever. So there's other stuff to get excited about. Maybe not on this podcast, but I think most people would agree overall this was a pretty strong Nintendo Direct. So... There we go. Enough about Nintendo. Let's move on to our normal content. Corey, I'm going to turn it over to you. Last week, we talked about Alea, E-L-E-A, some kind of a sci-fi walking sim, which, to be perfectly honest, you kind of halfway sold me on, and we wanted you to come back and report when you played more. I'm assuming you've played more. I Yes, I have done just that. I... Uh booted it up on pc last night after i played about an hour about an hour and 20 minutes of it or so and then had taken a break for probably like two weeks or so um because i had just been playing other stuff and had been busy and then we talked about it last week and um and then i booted it up last night and continued playing it as you do whenever you start a new game and i uh, so do you remember all of this? I remember when I was telling you about it last week, I was like telling you about all these like massive story layers that the game had. Like there's the part about like the kids who are like feral and then they have to be like cured and then they're like really docile. And then there's like the part about your husband, your character's husband in the game, like going off to try to like populate this new world or like discover these new worlds to live on. And then there's the part about like him like disappearing so you're kind of after him to go figure out where his like ship is and also there's like the augmented reality stuff going on like there there's a lot going on in this game and so last night whenever I started playing it um I had stopped on a section where I was trying to figure out a way to sort of like hijack the ship that I'm on in a weird way to kind of like get off the ship and try to like take a shuttle out or an escape pod out or something. And I um, got to the, um, like I like hacked some servers or something and you know, the game was going along swimmingly. And then I get to the escape pod part and I like jettison myself off the ship. And I'm thinking to myself as the 
as like sort of like the cinematic is playing of like me like jump like getting off the ship in this escape pod thing i'm thinking to myself like wow i've been playing this game for like an hour and a half and it kind of like it has presented a lot of ideas and a lot of like really interesting like thematic stuff going on but i like this game it seems like it's maybe biting off more than it can chew because like from the way i'm playing it it kind of feels like this could only be like the first like 25% 25% of the game and like I, I was just wondering because it's very like indie-esque you know it's a little bit rough but it's beautiful and I was thinking to myself like man I wonder like how they're going to wrap this up like is this game going to end up being like 10 or 15 hours long like because it just seems like they presented a lot of ideas here and I'm just like really curious about like how because I thought I was going to be in for like an hour or two hour experience and and I you know I kind of am if the game's interesting enough, you know, of course I'll play it for, you know, several hours, but whenever I jump into this kind of like a little indie gym thing, I always expect the game to be anywhere from like one to four hours or something like that. And so the cinematic starts playing and the uh, escape pod is like launching off into the distance. And I'm thinking like, man, where's this game going to go? And then the credits rolled and the game was over. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, dude. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I could not believe it. Like, I was really on board with this game for everything I had been playing. The only thing that really bothered me was right before you take the escape pod. And I know, I'm sorry, I know I'm spoiling the hell out of this. I doubt a lot of people are going to be playing this. So, sorry, y'all, if you wanted no spoilers. Like, this game is too short not to spoil. So... There's like a section at the very end of the game where you like hack the server thing in order to unlock the escape pods. And then you are like, and there's been no combat in the game. No, nothing like that. You know, it's just like all walking sim. And all of a sudden, like the captain of the ship tries to call you and I ignored his call because I'm a sassy bitch. And the, he like locks down the ship and you like take this maintenance elevator to a different deck. And all of a sudden, like, people on the ship start like chasing you down these hallways and it was really kind of scary at first because like it was one of those cool things where a game does it where like you don't know exactly like what the game is capable of and this is one thing I love about indie games I've talked about it like seven million times on the show where like when you dive into a game like this you don't quite know what it's capable of so like is it gonna turn into a first person shooter I don't know is it gonna turn into an action game who knows like you know everything's up in the air and so the section starts where you have to like run around these corridors to get away from like your your like cabin mates on the ship that the captain is basically ordering them to like like to kind of like arrest you if you will um because you're trying to escape the ship and you have the you don't have the authority to do that and i had to reload the section because i died like 15 times last night and it was getting so fucking annoying because i didn't know where the escape pods were on the deck that i was going on and whenever you load the checkpoint you can basically like only run left or right and i kept like i went uh i think left the first time and i got to the end of the hallway and there was like a person there and i was like oh fuck and so i like turned around and ran the other way and then there were people coming up behind me and basically they just like punch you and then the game is over and it checkpoints and I did this, like, tried to run different directions. Like, I mean, I might be exaggerating with 15, but I think it was literally maybe, like, eight or nine times. And I tried to do this over and over and over and over again, and I could not figure it out. And it turns out that the first time I tried to do it, I was right, because you have to run toward the person who ends up running into you, but you have to click the mouse in order to, like, kick them out of the way. And I'm not exaggerating on any of this. You have to, like, kick them with a the mouse click out of the way, and then, like, you run down toward the... The escape pod is past that person, so it's, like... 
the one instance of combat scenario in the game, which totally threw me, caught me off guard completely. And then you get to the escape pod, and the time before I got to the escape pod successfully, that weird, like, glitchy thing happens where I had kicked the person out of the way, and then, like, as soon as I crossed, like, the threshold to the escape pod area, somebody had just caught up to me and had, like, punched me. And so I, like, simultaneously, like, completed the objective and died, like, at the same time. <laughs> and I, like, even, like, the little, like, achievement thing on Steam unlocked that was, like, you know, whatever, like, made it to the escape pod or something. But then the screen just blacked out. And so I had to exit to the main menu, reload the save, and do it again in order to run back and then kick her and then continue on on time um, and then I made it to the escape pod, and luckily, once you get to the escape pod room, the door shuts, and you don't have to worry about them following you anymore, but you have to, like, find a helmet and put it on and get in the escape pod. And I was, like, totally ready for this game to, like, take me into this, like, cool new world and, like, like scratch the tiniest bit of surface on any of the themes that it had brought up. And, like, I don't, I don't know if this is just, like, an example of a developer, like... And I don't know how many people worked on this game. It was maybe like 20. I'm not positive. But I don't know if this is just an example of like a developer having like a million ideas and then they had a budget of like $35 and this is all they could do. Like, I mean, it makes sense now that I'm thinking about it of, I remember last week when I talked about the show, I had said something about how like, I thought that at first they had tried to launch it in episodes, but then it just looked like they wrapped it and just launched the whole thing on its own because it very much seems like this could be like a four or five part game. You know, the first part being on the ship, the second part being, I don't know, on the journey to your husband's ship, the third part being at his ship, the fourth part being uh, whatever's after that. And it just seems like that we have like 25% of a game here that is sort of packaged and sold to us as if it's like this entire you know, open and shut story. And I was like super on board for it. And I thought it was really interesting. But as soon as I got to the end of it, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that's the end of the game. Like th they, they bring up a bunch of questions. They don't answer a single question. And then the game is over. And like the game had a lot going for it. I was interested in it. I thought it was beautiful. I liked the main character. I liked her motivations. I liked the story that they had built up. And then the game was over and it literally was like, didn't, you didn't go anywhere. They didn't answer anything. And so, I mean, I'm sorry to say that this is one of those times where I have to come back to the show and correct the record and say that last week I was like, you know, more or less head over heels for this game. It felt like it was, like I said last week that I felt like it was like tailor made for me. And then I finished, I played it last night for like 20 minutes, finished it. And then it was over with, and it was really disappointing. And I'm really sad that I have to come back and report it that way this week, but I can't lie about my experience with the game. And I, I hope that maybe they go on to make a sequel or they go on to make a new episode or whatever they do with this game because they, it had a lot going for it, but it just feels really unfinished. And it feels like they had one, not even one too many ideas, maybe like 30 too many ideas and then just didn't have the time and space to finish it. And I'm sure there's you know, background stories and production stories. It was maybe a production nightmare or something because I don't live and breathe in that world of game dev. So it's probably reasons for it. But man, I was really disappointed when I got to the end and thought, huh, I wonder where else this game's going to go. It seems like I'm only about 25% of the way through it. And then the credits rolled and it was over with. It was very disappointing. I can't say that I'm surprised, honestly, because, you know, this was obviously a little small team indie game. Um, looking at something like this, 
I mean, it happens all the time. Like, I can think of at least three or four other games like this where they start out promising, seems like they got a lot of ideas, the team puts out, like, one episode, and then they just vanish. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if you don't ever see any more content from these guys. Um, I mean, kind of a shame, because it sounded, like, really promising. And, I mean, like I said, you halfway sold me on it last week. How much time do you think you put into it all together? Like, two hours, hour and a half? I can tell you exactly how much time I put into it. Let me bring up Steam real quick. Um, uh, Steam count says two hours on the nose. Okay, so that's, uh, I mean, that's a very small bite-sized chunk of content. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, dude. I mean, I wish that developers didn't do this. Like, maybe they would shoot it to be more of a, a standalone experience. And if they have success and if they have the time and the effort and the manpower to do the next part of the story then do that but like don't leave us like hanging on a cliffhanger you know like um i mean i wouldn't be surprised if you never hear anything about part two of the story but i mean it sounds sounds like a good experience for what it was maybe i'll pick it up if i see it for like a buck or something on ps ps4 like on a flash sale or something but uh oh well you know i mean i don't know it was you know better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all i guess (laughs) yeah i mean i think this game definitely has a lot going for it and i'm impressed with what the team did but it's just really disappointing that i was just expecting the game to keep going on longer and then it didn't and that's a shame but hopefully they'll come back and maybe make some more or maybe make a different game or do something else that will live up to some of this well, at least they left you wanting more. I mean, I think that's a pretty good sign. I mean, it's, it's always it's always good to hear, hey, I wanted more of this. I was liking what I was doing. I wanted to stay in this world. I mean, that's basically the best praise you could really offer to a developer, I think, is that you, you like their game so much that you just want more of it. I mean, I don't know what you can say that's better praise than that. So, I mean, kudos to them. Hopefully they will... I mean, I mean, let's be frank, dude. No one's heard of this game. They're probably not going to sell any copies of it. Yes. I don't want to be harsh or anything, but like... You know, I mean, the realistic evaluation is they're going to sell five copies and, you know, they're not probably going to make a lot of money off this. But maybe these guys will. Who knows? Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe they'll sell a bunch. Maybe they will find some funding. Maybe some publisher will see promise in what they've done and we will hear from them again. Who knows? Who knows? Um, speaking of games that are not complete, uh, let me segue into my game, which I am about to talk about. Risk of Rain 2. Uh, this just quote-unquote, came out on (laughs) PS4 and Xbox One and Switch. It's been on PC for a while. It is a very interesting story. Um, Risk of Rain number one, I talked about it on the show a while ago. Do you remember our chat about this? I don't remember specifically the chat, but I do remember that you liked this, right? I more or less liked it. I thought it had some problems. So here's the deal. It is a roguelike, which you know that I have a weakness for. It is a 2D pixel-based. The original one was. uh, And you start off as like a, I don't know, like a soldier or an astronaut or something. You crash land on a planet and you have to just survive. You get constantly swarmed by enemies. Very heavy focus on real-time action. And you constantly want to pick up like these random drops, like pick up a gun, pick up a drone to help you survive, pick up, I don't know, whatever, increased running speed. You know, what? you just pick up these drops as you go. And you eventually want to, um, you know, beat the game. I got lucky with Risk of Rain 1 because it's, I think, really is designed for it to be a multiplayer experience. But you can play it solo. I played it solo. And I just got really, really, really lucky with the drops that I found. And uh, I had enough skill combined with the luck of my drops that I was able to beat it. Uh, But, like, that game has a really fucked up, like, difficulty curve. 
and it was I very nearly didn't beat that game and if I hadn't beat it when I did I never would have played it again because I saw how fucked up it was at the end and <laughs> it was luck that saw me through that so I like a lot of the ideas liked what they were doing they announced Risk of Rain 2 and instead of a pixel based 2D roguelike it is a polygon based 3D roguelike they totally added a third dimension to this game which blew me away honestly I was like wow this is a big change this is a big shift like i mean so many things change when you add a third dimension but essentially the same game you start off as like a soldier that drops to this planet you just have to survive uh they have a number of different worlds crafted you pick up the little drops and uh the drops are reflected on your character which is cool but when you get a new gun like he actually holds the gun or you get a backpack he puts on the backpack i love when that happens uh and you just run around and shoot hordes of stuff that slowly increases in difficulty no matter what difficulty you select and i started on easy uh it just slowly ramps up over time so like no matter where you start you're eventually going to be playing harder and harder and harder and harder uh enemies and you want to get through the whole game before your time is up uh so i liked the first one fair enough and i like the idea of this one but i got kind of snookered because i thought this game was out it is not really out it's kind of early access and i didn't realize that until after I had talked to the PR person because the PR person was like, hey, Brad, we want you to do a scored review, you know, ASAP. And let's uh, let's get some coverage for this game. And I'm like, but wait, isn't this game early access? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, OK, so real talk. Um, we are a Metacritic ranked site. Whenever we do a review at GameCritics.com, Metacritic picks that up and they add our score to the aggregate. And I'm like, look, just FYI, I don't know if you know this or not. But as soon as I attach a score to a game, Metacritic will never change that score ever. No matter what I say, no matter what I do, that score is carved in stone. And what you have given me is an early access game that is not going to be done for another year. Are you sure you want me to score this? <laughs> and when I explain that to her, she's like, oh, wait. Okay, no, no, no. Let's not do that. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say. Because it would be insane to score this game now like i guarantee it's going to get a much higher score in a year's time because because Corey, what do we always say in the show when is the best time to play a game oh god like six months to ten years after it comes out <laughs> exactly the worst time to play a game in the modern time is when it comes out that is the worst time to play it you got to wait at least six months these days more like a fucking year before the game is in the best shape it's going to be in so I was really hesitant about scoring this game. I'm glad that they didn't want me to go ahead with that because I would have given it a much lower score than I think it will ultimately deserve. Um, I think it's fine. It's very clearly early access. Um, it's missing a bunch of levels. It's missing some characters. Uh, okay, okay, okay. To be fair, it's not missing them, but those things will be added later. So I guess that's a very, you know, a very fine distinction that needs to be made. I mean, I guess they think the game is ready for people to pay for it now, which I would largely agree with um but to my eye it's very clearly not done i see a lot of holes where things should be um there's no like final boss there's uh you know just, it's just like it just doesn't feel as finished or as done as it needs to be uh it was very glitchy when i was playing it i at the end of every level there's like a little teleporter out and a couple times i would play the level and there was no teleporter so like you just simply could not finish the level so i would have to quit to the main menu and just lose all my progress that sucked uh, it's a multiplayer focused game again, like the first one. So I jumped online. The, the online connection worked pretty good. I found a lot of people playing and I had no problem finding a match, which is a great sign. Uh, but after a long win streak, I was just about to finish, well, you know, quote unquote, finish the game because there's no final boss right now, but you can get to an end point. 
uh, and the server just shut down. So I like I totally lost all my progress. I was like, yeah, I was like ten minutes away from finishing the game. That sucked. Um, so that was really kind of bitter. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't really like to spend time with things that are not finished, uh, especially if like the content's not there. The weapons are not there. The bosses are not there. The levels are not there. I mean, you can play it and you can get a good sense of it. And I think they're on a very good track. But um, I did not know it was early access before I started playing. If I had known that, I probably wouldn't have started playing. I would have waited for the whole thing to be out. But here we are. So I think it's I think it's pretty good. It's rough. It's exactly like the first Risk of Rain, where it's a, a roguelike where you get swarmed by millions of enemies. Except it's in 3D instead of 2D. It's basically what you expect. But it's still like a year off. The developer sent a list of uh, stuff they're going to be adding and like a tentative calendar. So they've got stuff rolling out every couple months from now until next summer. So I think they're giving themselves at least a year to get it like in done done shape. So I'll probably just probably not play it anymore and just wait for more content to come to it before I jump back in because I just don't like putting time into things that are not finished. Uh, but so far it's okay. Um, you know, definitely some things to be fixed. Got to fix those bugs. I think the visibility in some of the levels is pretty bad. Like the color choices they make are kind of bad in some of the levels. Really hard to like pick out things in a visual sense sometimes. But I think the core of it is good. It was fun to play when it was working. It was fun to play with other people. Um, I think it'll be very recommendable when it's finished. So just heads up, it's out now. You can play it on every platform imaginable, but it is still in early access. It will still be in early access for a year. So if you're like me and don't want to play anything that's not done, maybe hold off. But if you don't care about early access, go for it. It's it's definitely um, it's definitely ready to be played, I guess. But the I think out of this whole thing, for me, the most fascinating news is that the complete transition from 2D to 3D is successful for it. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I never would have imagined it. And I think they did a great job in taking the exact same game, literally just adding a third dimension... I mean, it sounds easy to say. You can say it in one sentence, but like the reality of doing such a thing is huge. But these guys really had their heads on straight and they did successfully manage it. It feels like the same game. It controls the same. It looks as you would expect it to look in 3D, um, except for some of the shitty color choices. Uh, (laughs) But I mean, overall, real successful. I don't know a lot of games that could successfully manage that transition. So I think they do deserve a big round of applause for that and, and a lot of props for pulling that off. I think it does work. I mean, it's rough. It's not finished. Definitely needs some polish, but like that gap, they successfully leapt that gap and landed clean on the other side. So that's that is no small feat. Huh. Well, that's I think that's good. It's just a shame that it's like launched, quote unquote, and there's still so much stuff left to do for it. Yeah, I mean, I was it really cooled me off a lot when I took a look at the list of stuff that was going to be added. And I mean, I mean, not even having like a last boss or something. I'm like, come on, you guys like this is. This is not really ready to roll. I mean, and they're charging people. It's a, it's not free. It's not a free to play. So just know that going into it. Like if you want to get in early, if I mean, there's a lot of people who like early access. I am not one of them, but there's plenty of people who like early access. If you want to get in on this, you want to see it grow and develop. You want to give your feedback to the developers. That's what they're in for right now. So if that's your jam, go for it. It is not my jam, but it's, it's a lot of people's jam. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I'll come back to it in six months or whatever when it is more feature complete and I will give it a proper go at that time. But um, so far, I mean, real positive. I mean, apart from my general disdain for unfinished products, but it's, I think it's in, <laughs> it's in pretty good shape right now. I think they're on a good track. Okay. Well, you know, things could be worse, but they could also be better, but I'm glad that it's on the right track. Yeah. And the fact that it works at all and isn't a shit show is pretty amazing, uh, you know, all by itself. So <laughs> kudos to them for pulling it off. Uh, pretty, pretty amazing feat. So Risk of Rain 2, currently available on literally every platform known to man. 
Uh, check it out. But again, heads up, still in early access for at least the next year or so. Uh, Corey, over to you, sir. Rage 2, coming from Avalanche, and also, I guess, co-produced with id. This is a first-person shooter that's set in an open-world, post-apocalyptic sort of a land. Am I correct? Are you sure about that? Not sure. <laughs> well, you're right. That's exactly what it is. I knew it. I was, I was testing you. <laughs> seeing what also, you were I mean, coming from Avalanche, which is a developer that you got behind on their last game. Dude, I... Man... I, I, okay, so I love Just I love Just Cause 2. Real fun. Like that a lot. I kind of fell off the series. But when Mad Max came out, that game is the bomb, dude. Mad Max is great. It is a really good game that not many people got into because it released on the exact same day as Metal Gear, whatever it was that one. Solid 5. Yes, it released on the same day. Phenomenally poor timing. I feel so bad for those guys because Mad Max was fucking awesome. Nobody played it because everybody's playing Metal Gear. It got promptly forgotten. I loved it, though, and I was really, really excited to see what they were going to do with Rage 2. I have not played it yet, but I am now turning it over to you to fill me in, good sir. All right, so I got Rage 2 from Gamefly, and uh, uh, I, I'm kind of following up on my, sort of like the same thing I did with Devil May Cry 5, where it's like, I wasn't like super de-duper-de looking forward to playing it, but it was like a big AAA release, and you know, kind of, um, I don't know, just a big thing. So I figured, why not? I'll run it, I'll play it, I'll see what it's all about. And um, your description is correct. It is a first-person, open-world, post-apocalyptic shooter. Um, to be totally frank, it's not that much different than a lot of other open-world shooters out there. And, you know, therein lies kind of like, maybe like the thesis that I want to give about this game. And I have played it a lot. I haven't beaten it, but I'm probably about seven or eight hours in or so um and because i played it a lot yesterday and i played it a lot today and i just have been playing it and um it, it's kind of like it reminds me of a lot of different games it reminds me of borderlands it reminds me of red faction guerrilla it reminds me of far cry specifically far cry new dawn which was the one that just came out i think earlier this year um it reminds me of um, Fallout a little bit, maybe Fallout 4 specifically. Um, it just, like, it kind of has a lot going on that reminds me of a lot of different games. And the kicker is that I don't think it's as good as any of the games that it's, like, trying to be. Um, it just sort of exists in this space that it's just kind of there. Like, it's not doing anything particularly new or particularly exciting. It's not really adding anything to the genre that hasn't been done before. It's not... It doesn't excel in any particular category. Like, it's just very... Perhaps one of the most designed-by-committee games I have ever played or I have played recently where you can tell that... Everybody on the board for it just played a bunch of open world games and they just ticked every single box that they could from every open world game that exists because it's a first person shooter, it has a bunch of guns, it has vehicles. Luckily, the vehicles switch to third person when you're driving them, unlike Far Cry where they stay in first person so they make it difficult to drive. I like the third person vehicle uh, bit. 
Um, it has different faction leader, not really factions, but just like different like leaders in different areas that you have to go to to get their missions. You have to do a sort of Saints Row-esque, like complete a certain amount of side missions for each sort of territory boss in order to get main missions from them. Um, there are upgrades on upgrades on upgrades. If you're someone who really loves digging into upgrades for your character, this game has it in spades. You have different kind of weapons. You have levels that you can unlock your weapon to that require one kind of currency. You have little... On each level that you upgrade a gun, there's like a different modifier you can select from that cause that's a different kind of currency. You have special abilities such as like a kind of like a ground pound or a double jump or a thing that like revives you if you die. You can uh, you can upgrade those in two different ways. You have throwable gadgets that you can upgrade in different ways. You have vehicles that you can upgrade in different ways like the the amount of ways you can upgrade your character is it's it's too it's too much it's just too much first of all and <laughs> you you also have projects that you can complete for the people that you're for like the kind of faction leaders that you're doing bosses for like they each kind of specialize in an area like there's a guy that's kind of like a combat dude there's a woman that's kind of like a kind of like the um, kind of like crafting and kind of gadget type person. And then there's a scientist dude who's like kind of like the research and exploration type person. And you could buy little upgrades from them. For example, like the combat dude, you can buy like, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of upgrades, probably like 10 or 15 per person. And like the combat dude, you can get like, you know, 25% ammo for all your guns or like this really powerful sliding kick thing or, a melee attack that on a 15% chance of basically like making your enemy explode whenever you melee attack them. So it's just like stuff like that. And some of them are really helpful and a lot of them are not. It's one of those games where I look at a lot of the upgrades and I think, why is this here? I don't care about this. Like, I don't care to buy an upgrade that makes me, that, that gives me like, I don't know, the sliding kick because like I would never use that in the game. Um, it's just like, there's just way too many things going on, perhaps too many butts in the kitchen, if you will. Um, and like kind of to top it all off, um, this game was very much sort of packaged and sold as like, like, a oh, crazy, colorful action. Like kind of like if you took like the, the fluid and incredibly like intense action of Doom 2016 and sort of translated it into this Fallout universe where it's full of like these sort of like mutant rejects and the uh, like the tundra who have like, you know, a pink mohawk or tattoos or whatever. And it's just like the game is not nearly as like wild and crazy as it thinks it is. Like it puts on that show, you know, of like, oh, this is going to be, you know, a colorful, wild and crazy game. But really, it just goes through the motions of what an open-world first-person shooter feels like. Um, sort of the game I've played most recently that feels similar to it is Days Gone, which I talked about on PS4 uh, probably about a month ago or so. I didn't finish Days Gone because it just felt super repetitive and super rote, super I've played this 10 other places and they're better and all those 10 other places kind of game. This one is similar. However, I, this is, I don't mean this to be a compliment, but... This is the perfect game to just play and coast through if you have, like, literally nothing else to do. And that has been the name of the game for me this weekend. I've been home. I had kind of a rough week. I 
didn't I haven't I finished control I have been playing control a little bit more doing some side missions and stuff some post-game stuff um and this game came in the mail and it's just an easy game to play and coast through it's not particularly exciting it's not really innovative in any way shape or form um it doesn't get me like pumped up about combat the way that control does but it's just something to play because I don't really have anything else to play very similarly to how I talked about Far Cry New Dawn whenever I played it um I think I prefer Far Cry New Dawn because I'm used to the Far Cry mission structure but uh, Rage 2, the thing that I like about Rage 2 is that every once in a while it has some pretty impeccable like sort of inner like interior dungeon level design and by that I mean just colorful levels like the thing about Far Cry New Dawn is that it sort of sold itself in the same way where it was like oh it's going to be Far Cry but instead of everything being like a forest, there's going to be like hot pink and green sometimes. And that's exactly what it was. But Rage 2 takes that a step further by actually giving you more interior dungeon story levels to go into that have like really wonderful, like it's not just like, oh, a railroad car that it has some pink graffiti on it because that's what Far Cry did and it thought it was like innovative and colorful. But Rage 2, you actually, like, go into these cool, like, cybernetic buildings and, like, every... It's like instead of... It's like a committee got together and decided that instead of using, like, warm or white light bulbs, they would just use hot pink and blue light bulbs for everything, which is ridiculous, but it's also awesome. So, like, every interior level is, like, lit really well. Like, there's always, like, pink light coming from somewhere or blue light coming from somewhere or sometimes there's, like, orange or green light coming from somewhere. So it's not just a bunch of, like, pink graffiti on, like, a desert backdrop. There's actually dungeons that have well-lit areas, and I really appreciate that about the game. And it has a photo mode, so I've been, like exhausting photo mode taking a bunch of pictures of the game because I really enjoy doing that in games but all that being said I think that this game is super duper mediocre and I'm not quite sure why it exists I'm kind of sorry for all of the manpower that went into making a product that feels so designed by committee and so sort of pointless and pedestrian and by the numbers and by the books but I'm still playing it, so joke's on me. But if I had something better to play, I would drop this like a hot potato and move on to something better. But I am playing it right now, but it's very, very by the numbers and very pedestrian. Well, disappointing. I wish I could say that was a surprise, but that was basically what um, the word on the street was. I think a couple of people at Game Craig's played it. I think Mike Susky played it. Although, I remember him being pretty up on it, but I think he probably liked it more than anybody else. Everybody else I talked to was really like i mean i mean basically just exactly what you said it's open world it crosses all the t's dots all the i's but it's not like anything you haven't played before and i guess it i guess for a game that apparently you know like you said sold itself on its flash and color and wildness and craziness it doesn't really bring that in the game is from what people were mentioning so i'm not really big on open world games right now because i find that they're one of the genres that are most prone to wasting a player's time uh, and I mean, if, if word had been better on this, I would have jumped in just because I loved Mad Max so much and I wanted to keep supporting Avalanche, but word was not strong on this. And, <laughs> and basically everything you're saying is kind of what I was expecting. I was hoping you were going to have a more positive report, but I, I guess it was not to be. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, if you're somebody who's like a diehard, maybe like Far Cry fan, this is maybe for you. Um, but it's just totally rote and totally by the numbers. It also has a lot of, like, 
just kind of like gross visuals in it. Like I remember um, back whenever this game sort of debuted at like E3 or something. Do you recall whenever um, Chris Plant, I think is his last name, wrote a piece on the game? I think it was for Polygon about how like a lot of the enemies in the game had like uh, like cleft palates and like mouth like misformities yeah. and how. Yeah, so, like, that is a thing that happened. And, like, he had basically called out the developers, like, in an interview or, like, the producers or whoever. Because Chris had grown up with, like, a cleft palate. And I guess he had a bunch of surgeries to, like, fix it after the fact. And, like, that's sort of one of the go-to things that they use in the game is it's like, oh, we're mutants. So, like, of course we have a pink mohawk. And, of course, we have, like, a cleft palate. And it's just, like, it's, it's like, like, I described it to Patrick earlier as it seems very, like, sort of like what people would think is edgy in like the mid nineties. And it's like, it's just not, it's, it's just not really well done. It looks like for how designed by committee, it feels, it feels like they didn't have a single person like play tested and just sort of ask them, like, does some of this seem appropriate? Like, because just some of the like character design, it's kind of done in a way like for shock value. And but it's, like, shocking in a way that's not just, like, oh, this is gross. It's shocking in a way that's, like, wow, I can't believe that, like, the developers thought to design characters this way. Because it's just, like, gross and kind of insensitive and, like, not interesting. And I feel like if this game had come out, like, ten years ago, then maybe it would have reviewed better. Or, like, people would have been less sensitive to that kind of stuff. But it's just, like, a lot of it's just kind of uncalled for and, like, uninteresting and kind of um, maybe, like, offensive. But... I don't know. It's not a lot. It's just, like, pockets of that stuff happens in the game, but I don't know. I mean, I'm still playing it, so like I said, joke's on me because I'm sitting here talking shit on a game that I can't stop playing, but that's only because I have nothing better to play right now. Yeah, I do remember when that article came out, and they seemed to be kind of making um, physical deformity equivalent with, like, being a bad person or being an enemy, which I think is a little bit of a dangerous place to be when you are a game developer if you don't handle it carefully, and from... From that article, and I remember a lot of people talking about it at the time, maybe they did not handle it so carefully. Oh, they, I can't did, say. they didn't even handle it at all. It was so uncarefully done that they just did not handle it at all. <laughs> okay, well, that's really disappointing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like there's a lot to recommend it, so I probably am not ever going to pick it up. That's that's a bummer, because I think that Avalanche is a really talented studio. I've seen, I've seen greatness from them um, in Mad Max and in Just Cause, uh, at least some of Just Cause. So <laughs> they seem to kind of have lost their way. I don't know if they just need a good studio head to get them back in shape or if they're just busy doing contract work and they don't have their heart into it. Who knows? Who knows? But anyway, I think I'll give us a pass. Thank you for uh, taking one for the team on this one. And uh, yeah, I'm going to let this one go, I think. <laughs> I don't blame you. All right. One more game to talk about and we're going to wrap it up. Uh, you may be surprised. Corey here that I am playing a horror game this week. Uh, I do not play many. Uh, I am very scared. I am, I am the biggest Freddy cat imaginable <laughs> when it comes to games. In fact, I am so scared that I was trying to play Control last week, and I can play it during the day just fine, but I started playing it at nighttime, and it was too creepy for me. And Control is not a scary game. It is not a scary game at all. Yeah, uh, I had I saw your tweet about that, and it occurred to me that that's something that I and perhaps you did too, like kind of forgot to bring up on the show. Is that even though that game is just like an explorational like action game, there is some creepy stuff in it that's very unexpected, but also very welcome. So I I understand what you're saying whenever you say that 
playing it at night, it's just kind of creepy and a little too weird to play like alone in the dark at night. Yeah, I was doing fine because, I mean, a lot of the environments are dark. You do get, you know, enemies rush you and stuff. And that was okay. But I hit what I would probably consider to be the game's first real jump scare. And I am not down for jump scares. I do not like them. They bother me. I think they're cheap. They make me angry. They make me scared. I don't like them. <laughs> so I hit a really bad one in control. I wasn't expecting it because there had, I mean, I must have put eight or ten hours into it so far. Zero jump scares. And then one comes out of the blue and I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm turning this off because I cannot go on. So that's, I'm, I'm very low on the fear-o-meter. I do not, I do not generally go in for scary games. But uh, recently Dan Weissenberger reviewed The Dark Pictures Man of Medan uh, at Game Critics. He raved about it. He said it really raised the bar um, for horror games, but specifically for cooperative horror games. Um, he told me that it would be up my alley. He said I should play it because he knows my wife and I play games together. And he just like went on and on and on. So I'm like, okay, fine. Um, full disclosure, the developer did send me two uh, copies of the game so that my wife and I could play this on the podcast. Oh, nice. We yeah, should have had her back on, Brad. What the heck? Oh, uh, we should have had her back on. I think a reason that I did not have her back on is we haven't finished it yet, and I really wanted to kind of be done uh, with it. I, okay. My plan was for us to finish it this morning, but uh, I did end up getting called out to work, as I mentioned, at the, the top of the show. So um, we, we lost our morning game session, and uh, we did not uh, have that available. But anyway, uh, this is put out by Supermassive, the same people that had Until Dawn, which was a pretty big hit, despite being kind of janky and weird in a lot of ways. Did you play Until Dawn, Corey? I played some of it, and I thought that game was stupid as hell. I could not get into it. It is stupid as hell. There's a lot of really <laughs> stupid stuff, but at this, it was so much fun to play it on the couch with my wife. One of us held the controller. I think it was usually her, and us sitting together and watching it as if we were watching a scary movie, and rather than just cheering for people to get killed or for people to survive, you know, you actually had a choice in it. Like, you could do QTEs, and you could guide the course of the story so like even though the story did not hold together the care a lot of the characters were god awful in that game and a lot of <laughs> stupid shit happened it was still dumb cheesy fun that we really got a lot of mileage out of just because it was like a co-op experience so dark pictures man of medan is i guess a new project where apparently there are going to be more games in the quote-unquote dark pictures series they're saying it's an anthology so I guess this is like part one. So like think of it like overall, like the dark pictures being like the Twilight Zone or something. And Man of Badan is just one episode. I'm assuming that, you know, the next episode will be something completely different, different cast, different story. Uh, but what happens here is, again, you can play it by yourself or you can play it cooperative. And there's a couple different choices. You can play it like we did with Until Dawn, two people on a couch sharing a controller or, you know, up to five people. You can take turns whenever your character comes up, you give the the controller to that person and then they play out their choices and kind of go back and forth which already is pretty cool for a horror game pretty cool that they're thinking outside the box thinking of it like kind of a spectator sport group activity i, I like that thinking uh, but there's also another way to play it and this is the way that dan swore by so you can play it cooperatively online with a friend but there is no talking there's no voice chat and what happens is you play it together with a person but you do not talk about what you're doing you do not, you know, you don't have the running commentary. You just um, play the game yourself and you know that your partner is one of those people. So at the beginning of each chapter, it'll say, oh, your partner is playing the role of Chris or your partner is playing the role of Steve or whatever. And it'll tell you who they are. So you know which one is your partner. But other than that, you don't get a chance to talk. You can't compare notes. You don't strategize together. You just play the best you can. 
which is pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. I don't know that I'm as sold on it as Dan is, but I think it's interesting. So the basic story so far, very similar to Until Dawn. It's a third person horror game, narrative heavy, where you watch some story, then you make some choices. There are some sections where you can control your character, walk around a 3D environment. Sometimes you're just watching a cutscene. There are QTEs. There are some uh, little mini games that you do sometimes. The basic story is that there is a ship, Navy ship, which had some kind of weird spooky horror thing happen to it. Everybody on board dies and the ship just gets stranded way out of the middle of the fucking ocean and people lose track of it. Uh, jump ahead like 40 years, a group of 20-somethings, like a guy and his fiance, his brother, his fiance's brother and the captain of a boat they've chartered are just tooling around. They want to do some scuba diving. They come across this ship. Things happen. Things go sideways. I'm sure you can guess where it's going to go. I'm not going to spoil anything here, but that's the basic premise. They find this abandoned ghost ship in the middle of the ocean and shit, you know, happens. <laughs> um, so far, liking it. I mean, I think the cast of characters is more likable than the people in Until Dawn. There were a couple real assholes in Until Dawn. Um, and I, I mean, intentionally so, I believe. But it was it was easy to root for a lot of those people to die. And in, in this time around, we don't want anybody to die. Not that we're like, you know, besties with any of them. But, you know, we, we feel like they're more likable. And we're about at least halfway, maybe a little bit more than halfway. No one's died yet. So wanting, actually wanting to keep these people alive is giving a nice level of tension because we're constantly afraid of like, oh, if I make the wrong choice, you know, so-and-so is going to get killed or, oh, I, if I fail this QTE, this person's going to get killed. So, you know, we like having that feeling of tension. It's good. Um, story's okay so far. Definitely keeping our attention. I don't know that I would ever play it twice, but I'm liking enough to play through it once and just to kind of see where the story goes. Once I know what happens at the end, I think I'll probably be done with it. But um, so far, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I don't necessarily know that I'm getting as much out of it as Dan did because we are doing the online mode where you don't talk to each other and it's fine. But I think um, like what we're doing is we're playing a chapter, not talking to each other, just kind of going through the motions and seeing what happens. Uh, and it's interesting because you're not always together. Very often the game will separate you. So like I'll be, for example, I'll be on the, the deck of the ship doing something with an AI character my wife, Gina, will be, like, scuba diving uh, underwater with another AI <laughs> character. And we're not talking to each other. We're, like, doing two separate things. So, like, she doesn't know what I'm doing. I don't know what she's doing. Our characters are not together in the same room. And so you just really don't know what's happening. And sometimes I'll take a peek over my shoulder at her screen and I'll be like, oh, wow, she's doing something 1,000% different than what I'm doing. Or sometimes I'll even see, like, my character that I am with her, but I'm actually not with her. So, like, the AI is kind of playing tricks on her or, or weird things are happening where they're kind of playing us off against each other a little bit, which I think is interesting. Um, but we're not really... F you don't know it until you talk to your friend, right? So, like, we'll play a chapter silently, get through it, and at the end of the chapter, I'll be like, okay, so what happened in your game? And she'll be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And she'll be like, what happened in your game? And I'll fill around on my game. And so then we'll be like, oh, okay, so when that thing happened, that was you. And oh, when that thing happened this thing was really going on and oh okay so like it's cooler like after the fact when you compare notes but when you're actually playing it like you don't really get a sense of like the big picture and you don't know what's going on and it's really hard to appreciate all the tricks that the game is playing on you i kind of think the optimal thing would be to have two people play it for you and you watch them both at the same time because then you really get the whole big picture that's probably the best way to go because then you'd realize what's happening, who's being tricked, you know, who's doing something that's going to affect the other person. 
Um, but so far it's okay. We're still playing it, still playing it in silent mode. Although, I mean, I think it probably would be a little bit more fun to play it on the couch mode like we did with Until Dawn. So I'll get to the end. We'll compare notes, uh, my wife and I, and we'll see what happens and we'll see what we thought of it. Uh, but it is interesting. I love that they're thinking outside the box. And I will say that one neat thing is that when we play a level, sometimes I'll do something with my character, but the effect will be felt on, on uh, my wife's side. So, for example, we were on the deck of a boat. My guy is getting ready to scuba dive. I have my choice of equipment and I can choose whatever I want to take. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, well, I want uh, the camera because I want to take pictures of what's down there. And then when you actually go to scuba dive, you switch. So then Gina goes down to dive and she's got the camera. Maybe that's not what she would have chosen, but I chose it for her when I was that character. So you're constantly swapping through the characters and like whatever somebody does always has an effect on the next person and you don't always have control over that. So that's an interesting thing too. I think that's very interesting. I think there's a lot of cool choices, a lot of cool um, ideas, new spins on the horror genre. But again, it's kind of hard to really appreciate everything that's happening because you're only seeing your section of it. You're not seeing what's going on behind the scenes. You're not necessarily seeing what your partner's going through, which I, I mean, I feel like kind of takes away from it a little bit. I wish I could see more of what was going on and then I would be like, oh, this is 10 times cooler because this thing happened and I didn't realize it. But now... I'm dealing with the effects and now I see what happened. And, you know, if you just knew more, it'd be cooler, but it's still a fine experience. Still into it. Still want to finish it. Um, I think it would be a great wing weekender for you and some friends to get together on a couch, you and your spouse, you and your whatever, your partners get together and play. I mean, I think pretty fun no matter which mode you choose. So if you liked until dawn or you want a really cheesy B B movie horror experience that I think ultimately is going to be about four or five hours. So perfect for a weekend. Um, it's fitting the bill so far. I'm liking it so far. So do you think that they designed, when you're talking about like the different ways that you can play it and how you say that you, you know, you're not sure what, you know, your wife is doing versus what, how it's affecting you. Do you think that they designed this in a way so that you will go back and replay it multiple times? It's really hard to say. And it's, I, I think probably too early to say, um, because I just don't know. I just don't know. I mean, in one, this is not a spoiler, but in one section, um, I saw my wife's character and she was running away from me. And I'm like, why are you running away? And I was trying to talk her down. It looked like she was on drugs or she was, you know, panicking or something. And, but I, but I wasn't talking to her. We weren't talking to each other. So I was trying to, I was like, Hey, come back here. We need to team up. Don't do the Scooby-Doo thing where we split up and then we get picked <laughs> off by the chocolate phantom, right? Like come back here and let's be a team. But she kept running away. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Clearly something is screwy here. So we just played it out. And then when we got to the end, she was like, oh, my God, were you that fucking thing that was chasing me? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think I looked like a monster, but apparently I did. And you were running away and you looked like you were fucking crazy. And she's like, I wasn't crazy. You looked like a monster. I was running away. And so, like, you didn't know what was happening until afterwards. And knowing that, I think it's really cool. Would I go back and do it again? I mean, probably not once I know what's going on. I think in something like this, I think the not knowing is kind of what's driving me forward because I really want to see how the story turns out. And I also want to keep these characters alive, but I don't think there's going to be enough to get me back a second time. I, I mean, final judgment to be reserved, but based on what I've seen so far, it feels more like a one and done. And then I'll just be like, oh, neat at the end and move on. Hmm. Okay. I wasn't sure if you would like then do the couch thing. Like after you played it separately, if you would come together to play it on the couch afterward to see how that played out. I mean, I might try it just to see what the mechanical differences are, but I doubt we would probably go through the entire game i think we're not really the we don't really play replay a lot of games in our house um so once we know what's coming up kind of uh i mean unless it was radically different i mean if something like big changed maybe we would but 
we only played through Until Dawn, I think, once, and there's like a bunch of different endings for that. But like once was enough for us with that. I'm guessing it's going to be the same here. Hmm. Okay, well, that's good to know. I don't, because my track record with Until Dawn was pretty miserable, I doubt I will ever play this, but it does sound interesting with the way that they're handling, um, like you were talking about the innovation and storytelling and co-op. Because when I think of a co-op horror game, I think of like, Resident Evil 5 or, you know, like Dead Space 3. I don't necessarily think of it something like this. So, like, layering in sort of multiple ways of doing a cooperative like, gameplay type within a game like this sounds pretty interesting, but I probably won't play it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it is very interesting, and I'm glad to see somebody doing something different with the horror genre. And, I mean, this is, um, it's interesting enough to get me into it, and I've, you know, I've already said many times what a chicken heart I am, so uh, it's interesting enough for me to see critically, like, what they're doing. And I like what they're doing. I mean, it's still cheesy, it's still a B-movie, it's still basically, like, Until, Until Dawn Part 2. So people who didn't like Until Dawn probably won't be convinced this time around. But, uh, you know, I, for a weekend, I think it's it's fine enough. And I'm, I am curious to see people pushing the genre forward. Because I got to be honest with you, dude, I'm real fucking sick of horror games where it's real fucking dark. You've got a flashlight. Like, spooky jump scares happen. It's first person. Like, there's, like, a number of tropes that people have just been really clinging to a lot very, uh, lately. And I just, like, I just don't have time for it. Like, I would get back into something if it felt like it was different. And all these horror games lately just seemed like just variations on each other. But this one seems legitimately different, um, and I am enjoying it for what it is. So um, even if it's not successful, kudos for doing something different. Excellent. Well, cool. I'm glad to hear it, and I look forward to you reporting back on how it is when you finish it. Will do. I'm guessing we're probably going to finish it tonight or tomorrow, and I will have a full report next time. So we can look that look ahead to that at the uh, next episode but that will bring us to the end of this episode that is it for so video games thank you very much for listening folks we will be back next week but before we wrap up just a heads up we are still giving away games currently have ps4 xbox one switch or pc tons of pc codes no one has taken me up on my offer of pc codes <laughs> I, I literally can't give these away i will if you want a pc game free game i will i will give you like 10 i'll give you 10 <laughs> pc games I mean, I can't get rid of these fucking things. I don't want to just throw them away. It seems like a waste. So if you want a PC game, I will, I will literally give you 10. Maybe I'll give you 15. Who knows? I will hook your ass up. So if you want a PC game, this is your week. Otherwise, we have other codes to give away. Just email and ask for one. Might be great. Might be awful. But either way, it will be free. I promise. Uh, email us uh, the same address where you send comments, thoughts, feedback, anything else. So video games podcast at gmail.com. One email address does it all. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com once the show goes up. We are also on Twitter collectively, at Video Games, but you can reach us individually. Probably a better way to go. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. Corey, where are you on the social media? I am also on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Corey Motley. It's just my first and last name is my username, and it is spelled C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Thank you, folks, again for joining us. Uh, don't forget, there is banter after the closing music. And that is it for the main part of the show. So, until next time, this is Bye from Brad. And Bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week.
let's go ahead. So here we are once again doing a little bit of banter. Corey, you have a movie. I have no idea what this movie is. Tell us about your movie. I got a movie <laughs> to talk about. I got some other stuff too. I got some really gross stuff to talk about, so I'll oh, save that no. for the very end. Oh, I know. No. Spoiler warning, people. I know that some of you have sensitive stomachs and you were kind of grossed out by the last banter. I'll save it for the very last thing and I'll put up a, a gross a gross warning before we get to it. But for right now, uh, movies. What movie did you see, Corey? Um, I, well, I saw only the newest, hottest superhero movie out, um, Avengers Age of Ultron, recently. <laughs> <laughs> what? Did you rent it? You can't have seen it in the theater. I, yeah, I rented it because it had occurred to me that back when it came out, I had never seen it. And I watched the first one in theaters. I watched um, Infinity War and Endgame in theaters, which obviously we talked about extensively a while back. And f it, like, it had kind of always been on my list to watch, but I just never had. I've never owned it. So I decided to rent it. I just rented it on like iTunes and watched it on my computer while I was editing photos a couple weeks ago. And uh, just so I could kind of say that I had seen it to like f put another check mark next to, uh, you know, the MCU movies with me. And I have to say, I feel like this was kind of a popular opinion at the time, but it was not that great. Hmm. I, you know, I've had a lot of people say that to me and I've only seen it once and I saw it when it was new. Uh, and I remember it being okay. I don't remember it being bad, but was it like bad or was it just like whatever? It wasn't bad because I don't, I would be hard pressed to say that any of the MCU movies are like outright bad. Like there are plenty that are probably average or just like good. Um, but it wasn't bad. I mean, it was like entertaining and there was a lot of stuff going on and um, I was just very thrown off. I guess I had forgotten that the whole, like, Black Widow and Hulk, like, romance thing. Like, I was not <laughs> yeah, really yeah. expecting that at all. And the movie, like, kind of, like, circled back to it, like, three or four times. And the whole time I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I was not expecting that whole, like, Bruce Banner, like, Natasha thing to be yeah, happening. And then it yeah. did. And I was like, where did this come from? Like, it was a thread that I had forgotten from the first Avengers because it came out so long ago. And... I was just very thrown off by that whole situation. It's weird. It's it's pretty weird. Yeah, I totally wasn't um, wasn't expecting it, and it didn't seem like it was even like woven into the movie very well. Like all of a sudden they're like fighting or whatever, and then she's like trying to like calm him down, and then it comes up like another once or twice in the movie, and then they have like the bartending scene where they're like very awkwardly talking to each other kind of like in the third person about like being attracted to each other. And I was just like, you know, I don't really think this is the kind of movie to weave some strange like romance story into. And I like, I remember hearing at the time whenever it came out that one of the problems that I'd heard people talk about was the fact that there were so many people in it and that they were trying to sort of like, interweave so many characters and so many stories and so many backstories at that because you know there's the whole like um situation where they're kind of like hallucinating throughout the movie about their past and about their backstories and that was the first time that some of the characters sort of like backstories were even produced or there was like a facet of their backstories that were produced so like weaving all those characters together and then all of them having screen time and then some of them having backstories and some of them not having them it was just there was just a lot going on, but it, it wasn't bad. It was just like kind of maybe, I don't know, a little bit worse than I was expecting it to be. Uh, man, I wish I had seen this more recently because I, f 
I'm forgetting a lot of it. I mean, this was the one, refresh my memory, this was the one with Ultron, right? Where yes. they go to whatever country it is, and they lift up a chunk of the country or something like that. Is that what happens? Yeah, that's at the very end where they have to, like, make the whole giant piece of the country, like, float back down, which is okay. so weird, so bizarre. Like, I couldn't, I didn't understand how they were doing any of that. Yeah, okay. I don't, I, I'm real hazy on that, so I don't have a lot of specifics to contribute. But I do know that they did try to lay in that Black Widow Hulk thing previous to that. Like, it, that wasn't the first appearance of it, but they were, like, really, like, light-handed with it before. Uh, and it was uh, it was kind of weird to me before, and I still think it's kind of weird, so I don't know what to even think. And I mean, and, and she's even dead now anyway, so it doesn't matter, because in the <laughs> in the continuity, I mean, she's gone, which it was stupid, <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid. Um, so anyway, it is really bizarre. I did like Ultron. I thought he looked kind of cool. And I was I was really weirded out by the fact that um, Quicksilver, like, got killed in that movie. And I'm like, why would you kill that dude off? He seems like a good time. Like, he has so many neat powers that would make for fun scenes. And, like, he didn't even make it in throughout the first movie, which I thought was a real bummer. Um, so that was one thing I really didn't like. But other than that, I mean, I just kind of... I don't remember much other than, you know, oh, yeah, it's a cool Marvel movie I watched one time, and we're just kind of rolling along with the MCU, so um, I'll have to go back and watch it at some point. But I, I trust I trust your evaluation, and many other people have said uh, it's definitely not the strongest film. Yeah, I would definitely say it's probably not the strongest. And I feel like with the Quicksilver thing, because a lot of it centers around... Um, Scarlet Witch, where she kind of has now, and I didn't think about this until just this moment, where Scarlet Witch kind of has this like anti like fridging of women thing going on, where like instead of like her dying and other men like realizing their potential or whatever because of it, it's like the opposite for her, where like a bunch of dudes that she's close to like die over the course of several movies and then she becomes like more powerful because of it. So maybe in a weird like reverse fridging way i sort of support quicksilver dying but i do think that he didn't quite get his due in the single movie that he was in that's true that's a good point and i just like you i didn't even think about that until just now so i think that's valid i mean i think that's valid but yeah i mean it's hard to it's hard to appreciate a loss of a character that you've just met i mean it would have been way more impactful if we had had like a whole movie with him and people have you know if like 20% of the audience was like, oh, Quicksilver's my, my favorite guy, you know, like, if we, <laughs> we had had time to, like, really grow to like him, and, you know, like, you know, like, when, when Iron Man dies in, um, whatever, whatever the, the last movie was, you know, huge, because he's been, like, the backbone of the MCU, everybody likes Iron Man and all that, you know, good performances and stuff, giant, you know, giant shockwaves, but with Quicksilver, it's like, oh, this guy seems fun, oh, he's dead, okay, well, that sucked, <laughs> uh, you know, and not enough buildup, like, kind of a waste, I mean, totally, totally get the reverse fridge thing, but... Oh, well. Oh, well, well. Believe it or not, the themes of somebody being introduced and dying shortly after is going to come up in the games chat later. So if you're in the time loop right now listening to this, there's a game I'm going to talk about that basically does the exact same thing. So uh, I, I would say look forward to that, but you've already heard it. But Brad, you have it to look forward to because we haven't discussed it yet. I know. We are caught in the very the very famous Soviet Games time loop where we are going <laughs> backwards. And so I have no idea what has already happened in my past but your future dear list no wait no that's wrong your past dear list jesus boy time travel stories are tough man really really tough speaking of time travel stories look at that segue Ooh. uh i know smooth right and then i just totally undid it because i just highlighted the fact that i made a smooth segue thereby undoing the smoothness uh but i shall i shall continue on anyway um we just watched 
Happy Death Day 2 last night. You remember me talking about There's a about? second one? There is. There is. What? It's called Happy Death Day to You. Letter number two, letter U. Oh my god, of course it's spelled that way. Oh my god. Okay, so this is this series is so bizarre. I love it. I'm gonna tell you straight up, both these movies, top shelf. They're great movies. I love them. But I can totally understand why people have not seen these movies or wouldn't even give these movies this time of day. Because when you look at their title card, like on iTunes or whatever, I was going to say, oh, when you see the, the video box, okay, not a thing. Hasn't been a thing for like 20 years. There's no blockbuster you can go into to look at a video box. <laughs> That's how old I am. No. When you look at the title card on iTunes or something, what you see is the killer uh, who has like this weird black hoodie and a knife. And he's got this like disgusting baby face mask. And you think, oh, it's like one of those slasher movies. This little baby guy is going to run around killing people. These movies are totally not about that. They're not even horror movies. And they totally are presented as though they are cheapy slasher horror movies. That is so far from what what the truth of it is. Um, I watched the first one on the recommendation of Trashylvania. I don't know if he's listening, but hello, Trash, if you're listening. Uh, he was 1,000% right to recommend this because the first one was really fun. And there was killing and it was a slasher. But it was really about a woman redeeming herself, going from being a terrible person to a good person by learning more about the world around her and eventually, you know, reconciling with her errors and, and making amends for who she was. Uh, not your typical slasher film. And then uh, I was talking to uh, Defunct Games, who's a friend of mine, lives in Washington also. Hello, hello, Cyril, if you're listening. Uh, he said that number two was also great. And I'm like, oh, man, okay, I forgot about that. Let's watch that. Dude, it wasn't even... A, it was not even a horror movie. It was like... <laughs> A time travel kind of sci-fi feel-good movie. And it's just, I mean, when you look at the picture of this movie, you see the slasher and you're like, I don't want to watch that. But when you watch it, it's like the performances are great. They're super funny and warm. And the script has like lots of laughs and it's very clever. And Happy Death Day 2 was all about. Um, so the same girl, like the entire cast comes back. They're at the same location. It like is like directly continuing from the end of the first movie, which really caught me by surprise. Um, I thought they would just have a new cast and, like, do the time travel gimmick over. But no, no, no. They totally pick it up. They explain how the time loop comes about. They have a lot of fun with it by, like, going back and forth and doing lots of crazy stuff that's, like, funny and clever. And then it's all about her kind of, like, undoing this additional time loop damage that happens and being faced with these, like, really tough life choices. And, again, learning about how, how to be a better person, how to move forward in your life when you've had a lot of grief, and, like, how to just you know, uh, live the best you can. And, like, none of that stuff is anything that you would think to talk about, like, talk about this slasher movie with this weird creepazoid on the cover. And it's, like, 1,000%, <laughs> like, the most the most bait-and-switch I've experienced in I don't even know how long, dude. So, like, I totally recommend Happy Death Day 2. I thought it was so fun. One and two, I think, are great movies, like, genuinely great feel-good movies. I would almost even say that they are, like, feel-good family movies because we watched them with my son. He thought they were great, too. And there's, like, barely any killing and there's barely any death and there's almost no blood. It's just about this weird time travel and just being a better person kind of thing. So I loved Happy Death Day, too. I thought it was great. Happy Death Day, number one, also great. Love these, these two movies. I hope they make a third. That would be amazing. I would sign up in an instant. So heads up, folks, if you want something that is, like, a cool time travel story, uh, and in the movie, they even name-check Back to the Future. Like, one of the characters is like, oh, this is just like Back to the Future. <laughs> and, like, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And I'm like, yeah, it is, but in, like, the best possible way. Like, this is super fun. Like, those are those were good movies. These are good movies. This is really good stuff. So if you like Groundhog Day, if you like Back to the Future, Happy Death Day is your jam, and you should go watch it right now.
<laughs> we'll forgive you if you want to pause this right now, go watch it, and then come back and listen to the rest. Literally right now, pause it, <laughs> go watch it, and then come back. We will wait for you. <laughs> oh, man. Good, mo- good movie, though. Man, surprisingly good movie. I-, I wonder if the director of that movie just tears his hair out because... I bet 99% of people have a completely wrong idea of what this movie is about, just like I did, until you watch it. And I mean, I wonder if it drives me crazy. It must be it must be really frustrating. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, we're going to find this guy. We're going to get him on the show. We're going to talk about this thing. We're going to do an interview next. No, okay. We're not going to do that. Um, well, his, his name is Christopher Landon. I'm going to try to find this guy. I'm going to ask him. I feel like I feel like there's a good story waiting to happen here, and I really want to dig into this a little bit, because it is just so fucking strange. But anyway, <laughs> um, what else you got to banter, man? I got a couple more things, but I don't want to talk, uh, take up the whole time here. What, what else you got? Um, I really don't have much. I've been, <clears throat> it's been, I feel like I say this every goddamn week. It's been one of those weeks where I'm just going to work and then coming home and sinking my life into video games and that's it and uh i did play i wasn't planning on talking about this on the show but i could talk about it a tiny bit right now i played um the new uh playstation plus games came up for september and i downloaded uh batman arkham knight because it is one of the games and i had played it back in the day and is that the one where they put the heavy emphasis on the batmobile yes unfortunately okay okay. um so i started playing it again last night and um, because I have, like, a really, really, really deep, I guess, love. I don't know. I really like the Batman games a lot. I mean, I feel like they're all very, like, critically well-received, and they must have sold well because they made a bunch of them. And, um, and like, I went back and I turned it on. And it's weird because, like, my last save game was from 2015. So it had been a very, very long time since I would played it. But I, I copied my saves over from the old PlayStation to the new PlayStation Pro, and I turned it in and I had beat it back in 2015 when I played it. I mean, not 100%ed, but I had beat all the main story and a bunch of the side quests. And so I started um, the like New Game Plus version and I forget in the Batman games that whenever you do New Game Plus, it automatically puts it and the hardest difficulty level, and you can't switch out of it. Because like, why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't why you want to do the hardest it? difficulty? Yeah. Yes. So I like I played it a little bit last night, and I had this really embarrassing moment. The other thing, too, is like whenever you start it, I don't know if it just doesn't give you all the tutorials because it expects that you're like coming on a new game plus, like fresh off a game you just played, sure, or if sure. I just missed something. And there was this really embarrassing moment where like the first time you do one of those uh, Batmobile missions where you have to like use it to like climb up the side of a building and do a bunch of like stupid bullshit with it. I was trying to like ramp off this like ledge, like onto the roof of a building and I missed it like five times in a row and I was really embarrassed and I felt really stupid. And then I realized that there's like the, like, I don't know, afterburner or like nitrous boost or whatever button to like make it go faster. And the game didn't tell me that that was there and I'd forgotten that it was there. So I had to go back into the goddamn options and look at the control setup so I could figure it out. And, uh, and yeah, I was able to boost up onto the building and go about my way. But I mean, I... I like, despite the Batmobile stuff, because it was a little overdone and it was a little bit ridiculous, um, I really like the Batman games, and that game still looks amazing. Like, to this day, putting it in, it just looks so good whenever you, like, jump off a building and Batman, like, straightens his cape out to glide and there's, like, rain dripping off the back of his cape. Like, I don't know what like black magic or what demons like Rocksteady had to summon in order to make that cape look so damn good but it just looks so good and all the performances are so good in it and that combat system still to this day 
is probably the best hand-to-hand combat system I have ever experienced in a game. And I once heard somebody describe it as, like, it's a perfect, like, like easy-to-understand but difficult-to-master kind of combat system. And mm-hmm. I really could not agree more because it's so... I mean, it's easy enough to get through it, but if you really want to, like like, I don't know, cross all your T's and dot all your I's with every combat scenario. It's very difficult in order to, like, do things really smoothly and to keep a high combo. But that game is... I mean, I say that game, but I mean all of them. All of the Arkham games are so good. And I like that uh, Arkham Knight is free on PS Plus. And I went back and I downloaded some of the free... um, Like, they have, like, all the different outfits that you can make Batman wear and, like, the different skins for the Batmobile and stuff. So I downloaded a bunch of free ones because there are quite a few free ones. And there's a lot of, like, ones that are only, like, a dollar or two. So if you're someone like me who wants to, like, look cool, like, I put on – I can't remember what uh, skin it was, the name of it. But he's wearing this, like, red outfit and his, like – eyes glow red under the mask and he just like looks super cool it's kind of like comic book cheesy but it's also like the kind of cool cheesy that i'm like really into so he just like looks really badass because he's got this like metallic like kind of like blood colored outfit on with these like red glowing eyes and he just looks super cool and uh they put the batman begins skin into the game so you could play as like christian bale's batman and they also put the batman versus superman suit into the game so you can play as like ben affleck batman or batfleck if you will so i think that's kind of cool too kind of like how spider-man is doing with like pretty much every movie that comes out they put like the new suits from the movies and stuff in like batman arkham knight was kind of on top of that a long time ago so kudos to rocksteady for i guess maintaining support of your game and it's still good and if you're somebody who never played it now's a good time to go back and play because it's free with ps plus and it is still very good good to know good to know my past with the batman series is fairly checkered i love no i mean i love the first one um arkham asylum is with the first one i believe yeah is that right i mean that i mean blew me away at the time i loved it i thought it was fantastic i mean i did as much as i could do i mean i think i I didn't 100% it because some of that, the Riddler stuff or whatever was kind of annoying, but um, <laughs> I did, you know, the vast majority of it, and I thought it was just really brilliant. Uh, and then I got to the second one, which was, what, Arkham City? Is Arkham that? City, yep. Ah, oh, really did not like that one. I just fell oh, off no. of it. I know, and people say that's the best one. I do love that one the oh, most, Oh, man, yeah. I really didn't like that one at all, like at all. I think just... Um, and and to be honest and to be and to be fair, it's been a long time since I played it, and I don't recall exactly what I didn't like about it. I think I just like I was drowning in too much open world stuff, and I think like a lack of focus in the game. Um, I mean, honestly, I'll have to go back. I mean, I think I wrote something about it back in the day, so I don't want to shoot my mouth off and have somebody <laughs> email in and contradict me or something. But I just really didn't like it. And then I played the third one. What is? Th- I no, I did not. I did uh, not even finish the third one. That was the uh, one. That Arkham had. Origins, the prequel. Oh, Jesus. Maybe it was Origins. It's like every other one I like, and I don't like the the off ones or whatever. I liked the one that came to Vita. There was one that came to Vita, right? And it was kind of a 2D. God, what was that one? I don't remember. I also don't have a Vita, so I'm not sure. It, It came to other handhelds, I believe. But that one, everybody hated that one. I thought that one was great. I loved that one. Uh, where it was like 2D, he was in Arkham Prison, and he was like doing a lot of like, it was kind of a Metroidvania style, but like, you know, very Metroidvania since it was 2D. Whatever that one was, I thought that one was great. And then it came to Arkham Knight. My wife played it first, and she, I think she liked it enough to finish it. But as I was watching her, I'm like, ah, no, I'm not going to play that. Like, no way. <laughs> like, just, it took forever. I think it took her like 60 or 70 hours to finish it. And it, 
seemed like there was so much filler. I was like, I'm just going to stay away. So I've never played it, although I watched a fair amount of it. Uh, but now, if it's free, I mean, maybe I'll download it and maybe I'll maybe I'll try it at some point. Um, you know, it doesn't hurt to add it to your PSN profile. You never, you know, it doesn't hurt anything by downloading it or just adding it to your profile. Although it's not exactly like I'm just like, you know, rich with free time these days. So it might have to <laughs> sit on the back burner forever, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, perhaps, but I would recommend going back to look at it because, I mean, I, that's also me coming from me who enjoys all the games, but Batmobile stuff is a little silly, but everything else is still pretty much like rock solid Batman uh, experience, I guess. Good to know. What was the other free game? Do you know? Do you remember? Oh, I want to say maybe like Wipeout or something. Okay. I can't remember. I added it to my library, but I can't remember what it was. Okay, well, I'll check it out. I, I, it didn't even occur to me to look for the free games, so I'm glad you reminded me. Thank you for that, sir. Um, just a couple more quick things, and then we can talk about some games, although to the people listening, that means we're almost at the end, end, end of the show, <laughs> but we haven't even recorded the show yet. Um, quick shout-out to a company called Boxu, B-O-K-K-S-U. Uh, they are a snack company. It's kind of like Loot Crate, but with snacks from Japan. Uh, where they send you a box every month full of hand-picked and apparently hand-crafted Japanese snacks uh, for the otaku and all of us. Uh, <laughs> full disclosure, they hit me up at Game Critics and wanted me to, like, you know, eat the snacks and talk about them, which is what I'm doing right now. So oh, they sent me we have me some a... sponsored content on our hands, Brad? I mean, I mean, they <laughs> sponsored it to the tune of one box worth. I mean, that's all they, that's all they gave me, so... No subscription, no cash attached to it, unfortunately. If anybody would like to give me some cash, I'm happy to take cash. Uh, but no, it, so I, they sent it to me. And again, full disclosure, they sent it to me for free. Uh, the family and I went through it last night. And overall, pretty good. Um, it's very nice packaging. Nice box, nice wrappers. It comes with a little instruction booklet that tells you what each snack is because there's no English on any of the packages, right? Oh. So they have a little pamphlet that says, oh, this is your you know, shrimp cracker, and this is your seaweed treat, and this is your um, egg stick, and like whatever. And so they give you a little picture so you can match up what you got. That was really cool, and I like that. Very nice touch. Very, very classy. Very um, high-end feeling. Um, so we went through some of the snacks. Most of them were either okay or pretty good. Uh, I think we all, there was like a number of different like rice crackers. There was some mochi. There was um, two different teas, which I have not made yet, but we'll Give those one was like a soybean tea where like it was like literally toasted soybeans that you're supposed to throw into some hot water. Uh, there was a couple of chocolate things. Uh, there was a stick that was, I mean, it kind of tasted like a Cheeto, but it it was it was like a Cheeto, but it tasted like eggs. If that makes any sense, um, that was actually pretty okay. There was a, a sesame disc which was like black sesame seeds mixed with chopped almonds, which was actually super delicious. That was a very good combination, and I'm gonna try to track those down. And just order like a box of them from Amazon or something because those were super tasty, uh, and it was all pretty good. There was only one that I felt like was questionable. Now I am actually very experienced when it comes to Asian cuisine. I've tasted a lot of things. I know how some regional cuisines go, and I've you know I've eaten a lot of stuff that I think a lot of regular Americans would be maybe not too excited to try or maybe would not find too appealing. Not to say that I love it all, but I've, you know, I have maybe more exposure than, than most people do when it comes to uh, that kind of stuff. And so there was one snack in the box that I was like, oh, this is, this is a very Asian snack that I think most Americans would turn their nose up at. And to be honest, um, I, so it was like, it was a cracker 
It was a soft rice cracker that was mixed. It was a mix of dried plums and tuna. And that was the cracker. So as soon as I opened the package and I took a whiff, I'm like, oh, man, I know what this is going to taste like. (laughs) Uh, And I put it in my mouth and it was like I wanted to spit it out. But then I kept eating it and then it kind of tasted good. And then it kind of tasted gross, but then it kind of came back to being good again. (laughs) And it's one of those things where you're not sure if you like it or not, but then you like eat another one and you're like, I still don't know if I like this, but then like, you know, then you just ate it and then you're done and then you just move on with your life. So that was the one where I was like, Ooh, I don't know that a lot of people would really like this one. And I think I only got through it because I've, I've built up my tolerance to some of those more exotic uh, (laughs) foods that you don't get served in restaurants too often. Uh, But that was, you know, the rest of them were pretty good. And I don't have on hand how much each box costs, but it is a subscription service. If that sounds good to anybody, if you want to try snacks from Asia, again, sponsored content here on So Video oh, Games. Boy. Coming from Boxu, B-O-K-K-S-U. And it was fun, though. It was really fun to go through and look at the book, and we all kind of shared the snacks. So that was a good time. That was a good time. So heads up, that's a thing that exists. There you go. Um, I have one more thing to say, if you, if you don't have anything else, Corey. You may proceed. Okay, so this is your... Gross story. Spoiler warning for those sensitive of stomach, sensitive of heart. Uh, I know a a few of you listening were a little queasy last time we talked about some stuff. So here's your spoiler warning for grossness. Um, I don't know if you saw this. Don't tell me you like slaughtered a cow or something. No, no, no. I didn't kill anything. No, no, no more. Nothing like that. (laughs) No, it's a a personal injury story. I don't know if you talked about it. Did you see me talk about this on Twitter or no? I don't think so. No. So a couple weeks ago. Uh, we, I don't know what we're doing. I, it, it's all, it's all kind of hazy. I was somewhere. <laughs> I feel like I was eating chips and salsa. I feel like that's probably what happened. And I think that one of the chips turned sideways. Like, you know, every, like, every once in a while you'll have that rogue chip where it wants to hurt you. You know, have you had that happen, Corey? <laughs> uh, I think I've been lucky thus far other than chips getting like, uh, crammed into my gums accidentally, like between my teeth. That's yeah. the most injury I've had probably. Every once in a great while, I mean, maybe it's me, maybe I've got an eating disorder or something, but like every once in a while, I'll have a chip that kind of goes sideways or like, you know, it angles up in an inappropriate way and it'll like poke me like, you know, inside the mouth or something. And, you know, usually, ouch, no big deal. Move on. Eat another chip. You're fine. Um, But I had a bad one uh, like two weeks ago and I was like, oh, man, that was a bad one. And I was like, okay, ouch, ouch, whatever. And I kept eating and it was fine. And I just went about my And then business. all of a sudden blood just started pouring out of your mouth. Is that what no, happened to No, <laughs> no, that is, it's funny you say that though, but no, that's not what happened. So, you know, life goes on and it gets really swollen and it hurts. And I'm like, well, okay, you know, I fucked up my gum and that hurt and that sucked and whatever. And then I kind of forgot about it for a couple of days and it kind of started feeling a little bit better. Like the pain went away, but like it still was feeling kind of weird. And I'm like, oh, my jaw just doesn't feel like it's totally recovered all the way. And then um, it was like the strangest thing. I felt like this little ridge of something. And I'm like, oh, my God, do I have a tooth coming in? Like it's I don't know if you remember back to your small <laughs> child, your small quarry days. Um, but if you remember what it felt like when a tooth was coming up through your gums, like if you like a tooth falls out. And then you've just got, like, your bare gum spot for a week or two. And then, like, like the tip of the tooth comes through, and you can kind of feel that little roughness. Do you, know, you remember that oh, feeling, yeah. Corey? I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. I bet most people can remember that. It's kind of a weird thing for a kid. I think a lot of kids remember it because it's kind of traumatic and weird and scary. So so that's what it felt like. It felt like, um, like there is the ridge of a tooth coming through. And I'm like, okay, I'm fucking 43. I've got all my teeth in. I don't have any wisdom teeth. 
There's no way a tooth can be coming in, except that's exactly what it feels like. So this is fucking weird. I'm going to go into the dentist and get it checked out. So I go, make an appointment, I go see the dentist. And I go, dude, this is so weird. I think I got a tooth coming in. Can you please check me out? And he looks and he doesn't, he's like looking around. He's like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, no, it's like right here. And I was trying to, you know, it's like, how do you point to something inside your mouth without, you know, sticking your finger in your mouth? I'm like, look over here and it's over here. And he's like, he's got his little headlamp on. And he's looking, he's like, oh, he's like, I see it. And so he looks at my x-ray. He like looks inside, looks at my x-ray, looks inside. He's like, man, he's like, I have never seen this before. And I'm like, oh, oh God, what? Don't say that, oh, Doc. No. You're like, like a mutation or something. I know, right? I'm like, what happened? He's like, I'm looking at your exposed jawbone. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. I, I know. So that chip, when I eat, crunch that chip, it must have sheared away a very small portion of <laughs> oh, my gums. Because what it, it wasn't a tooth that was coming through. What I was feeling was like my literal jawbone. Oh, my God. So he's like, oh, man. He's like, I've never seen this before ever. And you're the first time. So I'm like, well, shit, what do I do? So he's like, well, you know, it's not bleeding or anything. And I don't think you're at risk of, like, infection. But this is definitely not a good thing that you want to have in your mouth. You don't want the gums to keep eroding away. And it might be painful and all this stuff. He's like, you know, here... Um, have, he gave me this special mouthwash, like this, like super chemically medicinal, nasty mouthwash. He's like, <laughs> use this mouthwash twice a day for like two weeks, come back and we'll see if the skin has grown back and then we'll just reevaluate. So I'm like, okay, so that's what I've been doing. Um, it's not really painful, but it's a little bit weird and bothersome. Um, cause I can feel it kind of a little bit. And, but I got honestly, the worst part is the mouthwash because it is so, strong and medicinal that like it makes food taste bad at, like hours after I've done it so like I'll, I'll do the mouth, mouthwash in the morning go about my business I'll eat lunch and lunch whatever it is will taste like shit because like my <laughs> taste buds are still like reeling from the mouthwash or whatever and it sounds weird to say but like that is like the most depressing sad part is like eating food that I know tastes good and I, I really should be enjoying and it just tastes like crap so that is the worst part, but hopefully the gums will grow back and I'll just continue with life as normal. Um, I have to eat on the other side of my mouth, which is weird, but you know, I mean, you know, no blood, no giant scar, no hospital stay or anything, but just a really strange and unfortunate thing to happen. That story, first of all, was not nearly as gross as I thought it was going to be whenever you were going into it. Um, but it's weird to me too. That's, uh, we're kind of, not that I got, you know, any, gums slashed away recently but I did go to the dentist about a month ago for the literally the second time in my life I've ever been to the dentist oh um, man okay yeah I know <clears throat> I don't know what I think just growing up I was so scared of the dentist that my parents like just like never made me an appointment and I was like awesome this is one less thing I have to do because I'm terrified of this and then I didn't go to the dentist for the first time until I was like 24 five when I made my own appointment like the big boy that I was um and I and it's it's weird like when stuff because like your tongue is in your mouth all the time and then the moment that something is different in your mouth you immediately know it like when you're talking about how you like felt this thing that you felt like a tooth coming in it's just so bizarre like no, like just immediately knowing that something is different and then you're immediately like worried and like maybe you break out in a cold sweat and you don't know because like because like teeth are really important and once they're gone they're gone like you don't get them back and like when I went to the dentist uh, a few weeks ago she was like checking my like 
like the gum depth around my teeth, oh, I yes. guess. Oh, and, yes. Yes. And she was like telling me like, oh, well, you know, you're, you have a little bit of like, I can't remember, like gum recession, I guess, like around some of my teeth. And she was like, you probably just got that from like brushing too hard. She's like, so you should probably like buy a softer toothbrush and brush a little bit softer. And then like just casually was like, oh yeah, that's something that can never be fixed. And I was like, oh, that's good to know. Like if your gums start receding from your teeth, it's just an unfixable thing. And you can't like, no matter what like toothpaste or mouthwash you use, like that will never like cling back to itself. So that's like a really terrifying thing to think about. Um, just like, I don't know, like knowing that when something is wrong with your mouth and also like stuff that happens to your teeth is permanent. And once the damage is done, it's pretty much done. And there's like no going back from it. Yeah, I think most uh, grown-ups probably have some gum recession. I have some myself, and it's always the thing that I'm most scared of when I go to the dentist for exactly the reasons that you mentioned. I mean, they they make a big deal about, oh, you can never fix it, it can never come back, and all this stuff. And, I mean, the, the weird part, though, or the shitty part, is, like, they're always like, oh, yeah, use a softer toothbrush and brush your teeth softer. But, like, I mean, if I brush my teeth more softly, they don't get clean. Like, I can feel <laughs> plaque building up on my teeth, and I'm really sensitive to the state of my mouth and I want my mouth to be really clean all the time. And if I, I have used softer toothbrushes in the past, they just don't get the fucking job done. Like I go to bed with my mouth feeling gross. And then when I wake up, it feels even worse. So I don't believe that softer toothbrush is the way to go. But at the same time, I don't want my gums to recede into nothing. Cause then you just got like skull mouth and then your teeth fall out. Yikes. So I don't know what the answer to that is. And I, you know, Nine out of ten dentists agree you should use a soft toothbrush. Well, I guess i got to talk to that tenth guy and find out what he recommends because this is not working for me. <laughs> I bet so. you that tenth guy probably recommends an electric tooth- toothbrush because that's what, like, three people in the dentist office told me when I went last time. They were like, oh, do you have an electric toothbrush? Do you have an electric toothbrush? And I was like, no, I don't. Like, I can't afford to buy an electric toothbrush. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've had that same recommendation, and I just don't get, like, what is the difference because... Oh, you're brushing too hard. Well, when I use an electric toothbrush, that thing is spinning around really fucking fast. So, like, what is the difference between (laughs) me brushing with my hand and me holding up a really fast-moving electric toothbrush? I don't understand why one is... I mean, what, do you guys got a stock in the electric toothbrush company, or what's the fucking deal? Like, why are you pushing it so hard? I don't understand what the difference is, but... Anyway. Anyway, I guess we're just going to both have rotten mouths as we continue this podcast. Uh, Our speech will get slurred, our words will get mushy, and we'll just have to get dentures or something, but... You know, whatever. Whatever happens, happens. Gross. But I would I would welcome maybe, like, veneers in my mouth, but not dentures yet. Oh, man. Those are expensive as shit, dude. I really want some of those, and I just... I, there's no way in hell I can afford them. If I ever got rich, that would be, like, the first thing I did. Like, it wouldn't be a yacht. It wouldn't be a big house. I'd be like, I would fix my... I would get, like, the perfect smile, and then I would be okay. I wouldn't spend money on anything else, so... <laughs> Anyway, all right, enough tooth talk. I think we should probably talk about some games. Yeah, I am game. Let's talk about some games. All right, let's dive into the time loop and talk about some games. 